Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. Very proud to announce that we have three new members uh, to the cast of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. We have Matthew Legault from Scorpio Masque, Ilya and Tyler from Covery, Aaron and Royce from Definitely a Board Game Podcast. And also contributing on this episode are Andrew Bookaltz of BoardandGame.com, Metal Meeples and Beer, Cardboard Conjecture, Friday Night Games, and Board on the Air. Remember to check out the show notes for links to everyone's content. Hey, it's getting cold out there. Make sure you got your toucan mitts. Hi, this is Andrew Buckold of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, I'm going to focus on the game Silverton. Silverton is designed by Phil Smith and Dory John Smith. It was initially published in 1991 by Two Wolf Games. It was later republished in 1997 by Mayfair Games, when that came after Phil Smith's passing in 1994. The Mayfair Games rules include a, a very nice tribute from his wife, Dory Smith. I grew up playing the Two Wolf edition of this, and it was one of the first games I ever played, thanks to my uncle, who originally got it, and then to my parents, who have regularly played it with me over the years. The Mayfair edition is the more common one at this point, but there really aren't a lot of changes, and the ones that are made are quite good. For example, the stretch of New Mexico that down to El Paso wasn't in the original game, but was in a later New Mexico expansion. The Mayfair edition just incorporates that as, and the associated claims as part of the base game. It also has some easy tweaks to make some of the math a little simpler, including a simplified process for claiming passenger routes, a simplified handling of precious metals, gold, silver, and copper to eliminate the fractions, and the elimination of the need to rebuy snowplows after every winter turn. So unlike some later editions, the Mayfair edition of the game is perfectly good and well worth your time, but the original Two Wolf edition is also great. So what is Silverton? Silverton is a game of railroads, but it's interesting in that it's not a cube rails game or an 18xx game, unlike so many others in that space. In Silverton, each player is running their own railroad, so there isn't the stock market element you would get in cube rails or 18xx titles. What there is, is you're building routes and you're buying either freight claims or passenger claims. Passenger claims give you continuous revenue every turn, except maybe if you can't clear them during winter, 
while freight claims have you rolling the dice each round to see what level of freight they produce. The freight in the game is gold, silver, copper, lumber, and coal. A neat thing about this is that the different types of resources feel different. Coal claims generally are harder to deplete, and so they're more likely to produce every round rather than just going away on a bad roll, but what they produce isn't worth as much per individual unit. Precious metals like gold and silver tend to be more risk and reward. They can give you a whole lot of money for what they produce, but they tend to deplete more easily. So there are different advantages and disadvantages to these different claims, and there are different advantages and disadvantages to the markets that you can sell them to. There are markets in the game from Denver to Pueblo to Salt Lake City to Santa Fe to El Paso. You can only sell to them if you're connected. And those markets each have their own demands. The way that the demand pricing works in this game is very cool. At the end of each round, you make rolls for each of those markets separately when it comes to the lumber and coal. The market for the gold, silver, and copper is regardless of what destination it is. And you adjust the position of the price markers accordingly. So it's an interesting little simulation of supply and demand. If you sell your resources, the market is more likely to go down. If nothing is sold in a market at a particular turn, it's more likely to go up and to reward you then. So there's some interesting player interaction in when to sell the resources that you've produced. There's also interesting player interaction in the rush to complete big passenger routes. A lot of the big routes are from one market to another market, so from Denver to Salt Lake City or Denver to El Paso. And there's some real competition for key track routes Another thing that's cool with Silverton is that there are multiple ways to play it. The short game runs for two to four hours, the standard game runs four to six, the long runs six to eight, and the campaign game has an estimated duration of six to nine hours, but it feels like it sometimes takes more than that. However, with that said, the campaign game is my preferred way to play this. You play a full 24 turns. A lot of the time this can be done by leaving the game up for a couple of days if you happen to play with people who live with you, and this is actually really nice and easy to do online with the Vassal module because of course you can save it at any given point. So my particular game of this with my parents most recently was done online over Vassal, and we'd play several turns at a time in various stints over a period of weeks. The game also comes with various solo scenarios and various multiplayer scenarios, and those are quite interesting. It also has options for a standard game and an advanced game, but I would recommend always playing with the advanced game, which allows for the use of trains and snowplows. The trains add an interesting element of pickup and deliver and of literal engine building, and they give you some more decisions to make. Overall, I love Silverton. It was one of the first games that really brought me into the hobby of board gaming. It's something that I've enjoyed playing for decades, especially with the right group of people. And I think it still stands up very well and still does a lot of unique and interesting things. It doesn't play like many of the other titles in the rail genre. 
it's not about stocks. It does have some die roll luck, although that tends to even out over the 24 turns of a campaign game. And it has an interesting element of resource production and delivery that isn't found in a lot of other games. It's not going to replace your 18xx games or your Cube Rails games or even more Euro Rail games like Russian Railroads or First Class. But I think what Silverton does is unique and interesting. And while it's very difficult to get a copy of this game at the moment, I highly recommend it if you have the opportunity to check it out. The Vassal module does work very well and is one way to try this out, and although uh, some of the language is in Spanish, it's relatively easy to get into. The rules are also available online. Anyway, that's Silverton, and I'm Andrew Buckles. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckles, that's B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, and you can also find my board game writing online at boardandgame.com. Thanks again for listening. It's Rob and Anna Marie. Hello. From Metal Meeples and Beer, uh, coming at you again uh, for, I believe, the sixth week in a row or so for What You've Been Playing Wednesday's podcast. Um, and we got a lot to talk about. We've played a couple great games over the last week. The first one we're going to talk about is Cloud Age. Um, this game is from Alexander Pfister and Arno Steinwender, and it is uh, published by Capstone Games and Nanox Games. It's one to four players. Um, and it is a uh, engine building, deck building, resource management style game. Um, and the theme is uh, that you are flying around in little air balloons above kind of a scorched earth, uh, where uh, a cloud or a cloud, a, a secret society called Cloud has set fire to all the oil reserves, and uh, the forests have all burned, and the in the the whole world is kind of like a barren wasteland. And um, you are kind of flying around in these blimps, uh, trying to gather resources and visit cities and battle these cloud militia bad guys. Uh, what can you say about it, Anna Marie? I love this game. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go into kind of a different aspect. I really like the way they did the turn order in this game. Mm-hmm. I found that it had a really nice flow and it cut down on idle time. Right. Um, you have three phases per round, but all players complete each phase in turn order before moving to the next phase. Right. So you don't have, you know, one person sitting there while the other person does every single phase and can yeah. be taking their time. That's always nice. Yeah. So I thought that was really smart how they did that. It just was smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying with that barren wasteland, I really liked the theme and yeah. I thought the art worked really well with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The art is by um, uh, Christian Operer, I believe is his last name. Yeah, really, really, really good. Yeah, everything like it, it looked dry. You just you could tell that water was precious while mm-hmm. you were playing it, and um, yeah, water being the number one resource uh, in the world in this game. So yeah. yeah, you're trying to collect as much water as possible. And I liked that there were only two resources in this game: is water and metal. Yeah. That was it. I think it just really showed how important and crucial like each of those two resources are. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I found so far that it's been really nicely balanced. I've lost both games, so all of the games, all the games we've played, Barely. I've lost. Barely. But that's and the it's, thing. It's unique for me to win 
you know, all the games. Well, so, yes. And it's good because even though I lost them both, we were close. Yeah, no, and totally close. Especially when it seemed like uh, I was running away at one point. Oh, all the time. Um, I felt like I was so then far you, behind. Yeah, with all the end of end of round scoring, uh, you, you caught up like nothing, really. And then, you know, even though I lost, um, I found that I wanted to play again, like to mm-hmm. try to beat you. Like I wasn't... I wasn't discouraged. And the one thing that's nice with this game, too, is even if you do lose by, like, 30 victory points or or whatever, when you're playing the campaign... Mm-hmm. Um, which is what we're doing. There's two different things, like uh, she mentions here. There's a campaign you can play, which is seven chapters long, kind of like a book. And then there's just uh, scenarios. individual scenarios you can do as well. Yeah. yeah. So with the campaign, you know, if you um, if somebody wins by, like, 30 victory points you're still you're kind of scoring in stars so mm-hmm. they might get two stars and you might get one star so you're still not yeah. that far behind for the next phase of the campaign so mm-hmm. i really liked that aspect of it totally and um yeah like the game is is super good uh where it, the campaign is really cool because things are changing as you go you're adding cards to to the game uh you're changing up the board you're adding tiles to the board um, lots of different options are kind of coming around during the game, and, and you know we haven't even seen half of it yet. So, yeah. uh, and we've seen a lot in a very short amount of time. Um, really, really cool. Uh, particularly, there's one uh, part of the game that's really neat. At at uh, the third kind of thing you do in your phase is uh, you you come across these cloud cards, which kind of simulate you looking down through the clouds, and you can't quite see what's under there. Holes um, are neat. Yeah, and, you, I like and those. so you kind of you're kind of hoping that you're going to find what you need underneath those clouds, and then when you reveal the card, you pull it out of the sleeve, and it actually shows you what you do find below those clouds, and hopefully it's what you were looking for. But it, you know, you never know, because usually that's gone in my favor, but it's not been going in your. Oh, favor. not at all. No. I have been uh, devastated. Yes, by usually those. it is the complete opposite yeah. of that. And I'm getting screwed, <laughs> and you're not. But yeah, no, I nice I, change it's of been, pace. It's for nice you. change for me, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can't say too many more good things about this game uh we still have a, a ways to go to get through the campaign but i'm loving playing it like you said we, we were playing it just earlier and i wanted to keep playing but yeah. no we got to go do this uh you know to do this recording so that's the only reason we stopped otherwise we'd be, we'd be up there playing yeah, right now absolutely um so alex fister and capstone uh just a match made in heaven in my opinion because the production value is through the roof and fister never misses and this proves again uh, that he, he just does home runs. So um, uh, I'm excited to see how it ends. But that's Capstone's uh, Cloud Age. We're going to move on to one other game we've been playing, and that is uh, the latest in the Unmatched series, which is uh, Little Red Riding Hood versus Beowulf of all uh, people. It's really funny, kind of a play on words, you know, with Riding Hood and the Wolf, you know, so now it's Riding, uh, riding Hood and Beowulf, two extremely different people. Uh, what do you think about this one? I love the Unmatched games. I think they're a ton of fun. Uh, I love the characters that they're putting out. It just They make me want to buy all of them and <laughs> right. play all of them. And we have the majority of them. We don't have all of them, but we have the majority of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I love the Jurassic Park one is my favorite. But, yeah, no, this one has been really fun. We played uh, we played a bunch of games of it, and you've been Beowulf the whole time. Yeah, I've and been And I've Beowulf. been Riding Hood the whole yeah. time. And Beowulf's won all of them. Yes. Uh, but... That being said, I had some horrible card draw with Riding Hood where I couldn't get any cards out for the the Huntsman to do anything. So I was trying to take you down just hand-to-hand with Riding Hood, and that didn't work out. Um, But then um, I did come within a hair of beating you uh, once I actually got some. Yeah, definitely. uh, 
and Good draws. Yeah, and if, yeah, card. You gotta have the right cards, and if you don't, yeah. you have to run. Yeah. Um, this this one, Red and, and Beowulf, they um, they introduced this like this uh, the doors. Yeah. So we didn't utilize them enough. No, but like, I started to, and I started closing it in your face, and then I'd run away, and yeah, you would have to spend extra actions trying to get through that door, and it allowed me to kind of run away from you and let the uh, the huntsman shoot at you with arrows and things yeah. like that. And yeah. I, I, one thing I really liked about this one is I love the art in these unmatched games. Mm-hmm. And I find that the art enhances it so much. Like, it takes Little Red from being this, like, fairy tale character, right? And it brings it, it oh, yeah. just darker. Oh, yeah, savage in this Right, game. like, it just makes it oh, darker yeah. and typical for a lot of the fairy tales that are more, like, the Grimm's, right? Yeah, Where no, they're totally. the darker ones. I, I just really I like the too. art in there. And I love that we could pull, you know, you could put... Uh, Robin Hood in here, you could have Robin Hood versus Red Riding Hood or something like that. I love the whole yeah, unmatched thing. I like too. that you can take characters in and out of the games into different maps. Anybody against anybody, all things go. Uh, we're out fun. of time though. So we got to run. Um, again, this has been Rob and Anna Marie. See ya. From Metal Meeples and Beer, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Matthew Legault from Scorpio Masque, the Montreal-based board game publishers that have brought the world Decrypto, Masterword, Zombie Kids, and now Zombie Teens Evolution. And I'm here to tell you today about a game that I've been playing recently, Hadara. Now, like most people, I haven't had a proper sit-down gaming session in about a year, except when I play with my kids. So, most of my gaming has been done online. So I was really excited to see Hadara pop up on yukata.de because I own a copy of the game on my shelf over here, and I love it, but I haven't had a chance to get it to the table much. Let me tell you a bit about the game. Uh, Hadara was designed by Benjamin Schwer, who also designed a number of games for Haba, including the very fun Heroes of Cascaria, and it's published by Z-Man Games. Now, Hadara, which is the Arabic word for civilization or culture, is a competitive card-drafting game with some engine-building elements sort of thrown in there as well. Now, the board is set up in a very unique pentagon shape, with each section representing one of the five elements in the game. There's culture, military, income, food, and... purple. We'll come back to purple in a minute. Each section holds a deck of cards consisting of two cards per player. Each player gets a player board with a symbol that represents them for the game and some starting gold pieces and a card that determines their starting resources. So, for instance, I could start the game with two income, one military, three culture, and four food. And I put my little wooden marker on those spaces on the player board to show that. On my turn, I'll pick up two cards from the deck on the section of the pentagon that my symbol is on. Now those cards will tell me how much I can increase my resources by if I decide to buy the card. So for instance, if I start on the food space, which is the green space, I may have one card that allows me to increase my food by two and my income by one, and another card that only allows me to increase my food by two. So I get to choose which card I want to purchase. Obviously, the more profitable card, the one with the extra income, will be more expensive to buy. But do I want to waste my, my money on this in my first turn? It's... Ah. Anyway, the other card that I choose not to buy goes into a face-up discard pile in the same section of the board. Now, the great thing about this game is that everyone plays simultaneously. So we all choose our cards at the same time and place them face down in front of us. When we're all done, we flip over our card to reveal it and we place it in the space of that color below our player board. And we adjust our resource tokens to indicate the increases we've gained. 
Now, if you run out of money, which you invariably will, money is a really scarce resource in the game, you can, instead of purchasing a card, sell the card for money, removing it from the game, and the second card then goes into the discard pile. Now this repeats itself as you go clockwise around the board, taking cards, buying them or selling them, and inserting them into your display until you've done every section of the board. Then there's some income collecting and a bunch of other stuff. You can buy statues, for instance, if your culture is high enough, or you can conquer colonies if your military is high enough. And then you do the second part of the first era, which is a turn-by-turn -turn round in which you can take the top card on any discard deck and buy or sell it. Now the cool element here is that the cost of the cards are permanently reduced by the number of cards you already have in that color. So if I have two green food cards on my display, for instance, all future green cards will cost me two less. If I buy another green card, they'll cost me three less. It's a very clever mechanism to encourage specialization. Oh, and you better have plenty of green cards because I forgot to tell you, your cards are people. And if your food resource is not equal to or greater than the number of cards you have in your display, you lose that many cards. You've just starved your population to death, you horrible person. So the game goes on like this for three eras, and at the end of each one you can buy medals that allow you to score points for either sets of card colors or for specializing in one color in particular at the end of the game. Oh, and those purple cards? They give you in-game bonuses like cost reductions or end-game bonuses that can score you big points when you count up the total. So like a lot of Euro-style games, the theme of Hedera feels a little bit thin, but it's very pretty. The artwork on the cards is lovely, and each element of the game is really, really well represented. Now, I'm a sucker for drafting games. I have Neom, the city-building tile drafting game. I have It's a Wonderful World, the civilization-building resource-managing card drafting game. And yes, I also have Seven Wonders, but here's news. Hadara has completely replaced Seven Wonders in my collection. I love this game. The choices are always tough, but the satisfaction of nearly always increasing your resources is wonderful. There's a great tension with the food requirement in the game. Will I have enough to cover the cards I want to buy? Money also is always scarce, so you're always trying to negotiate the best time to trash a card for money to buy those other cards you're looking for. You can see your opponent's boards as well, so you can kind of predict what they're going to be focusing on and figure out whether they'll get in your way or not. There's a little bit of mind reading in there. Anyway, the game plays in about 45 minutes to an hour, but with experienced players, that can shorten down quite a bit. Oh, and it plays very well with two players, as a matter of fact. It's a different experience, much more tactical, but it's still very fun and satisfying. Now, the only one slight drawback of the game is that playing it online on Yukata, which is a turn-based platform made for asynchronous play, means that the simultaneous nature of the game is lost. So this adds a significant amount of time to the game. So you're looking at a good 90 minutes to play it. But there's also plenty of interaction in the game, so there can be a good bit of table talk, you know, to get you through it. I'd love to see Board Game Arena pick it up, because their platform allows for simultaneous play. I play a lot of Race for the Galaxy on there, for instance. So to sum it up, I strongly recommend Hadara as a middleweight card drafting game, which is smooth enough to learn and play quickly, but crunchy enough to allow players to really dig their teeth into it. So thanks for listening. That was Hadara. I'm Matthew Legault from Scorpio Masque, and why not pop out to the store and pick up one of our fantastic games like Master Word, for instance, which just came out in August of last year, a word-based deduction game that plays great in person, or especially important these days, over video conference. I'll speak to you next time. Hello everybody, my name is Ilya. And my name is Tyler. Together we're Kavri. We're an engaged couple who loves board games and sharing that love with everybody.
-hmm. And where can people find us, Ty? Yeah, so you can find us on Covray Studios uh, for Instagram, for Twitter, and just Covray for YouTube. Yeah, our website, Covray.com, basically has it all centered. So we're very excited because this is our first episode of What You've Been Playing. So. Yes, yeah. Thank you for having us. Mm -hmm. So the games we want to talk today are Canvas and Miyabi. Mm -hmm. We've been playing a lot of lighter games lately just because we've been so busy. So these are two of the lighter games we've been playing. Mm -hmm. And Canvas is relatively new. We just got it um, from Kickstarter mm -hmm. and it's been just a joy to play. So we'll dive right in. Sure. Well, why don't we kick it off with Canvas? So Canvas is a game published by Road to Infamy Games. It's designed by Jeffrey Chin and Andrew Nerger. And it's illustrated by Luan Hyun. It's a really interesting game just because essentially it's very simple, but it does have a little bit of depth to it as well. You get these painting cards and there's these translucent cards that you layer on top to try to build paintings. And the really clever kind of mechanic of the game is all you're doing is essentially either picking a new painting up or painting a painting. So it's very easy to kind of get through. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting element of it is the variety of images you're able to create. So if art is kind of your thing and you really enjoy that creative outlet, you'll really enjoy this game, I think. Yeah, yeah. My favorite part about this game is that um, they've also got names alongside of it. Mm -hmm. So when you combine some paintings, you come up with some mysterious or quirky name. And personally, that's my favorite part. Yeah, you really get to dive into that creative side of yours and be like, well, what, what does this really represent? There's this flying elephant and this tarantula descending down. Like, yeah. What could it be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of variety in the game too, just because they have a variety of scoring um, cards. So sometimes you'll score for a variety of colors, different shapes. So there is a lot of replayability I find in this game as well. Yeah, it's just been a joy to play and it's super quick to play. And the box actually can be hung up as a painting. Yeah. So there's actually no identifiers of the game of what the name is, the designers or anything. And there's a little hole in the back so you can actually hang it up as well. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting and bold choice. And you know, I feel like all of our games should just be hung up at this point just because we're running, running out of room here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well that was Canvas. The second game we wanted to kind of highlight is uh, Miyabi. So that's um, published by Haba Games, and it's designed by Michael Kiesling, and the art is done by... Renee Amthor. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically in this game, you're trying to... It's a tile placement game where you're trying to score as many points by layering your tiles on the board that you're given. Now the trick here is that there's certain restrictions on the columns and rows you can play in as you get further and further into the game, and there's just this sense of building a community in the game that I just really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're trying to build a garden, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. There's like a lot of different items that go into it, but the art and the tile in this game is just so beautiful and I always love looking at it when we play. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of my favorite things about the um, game too is it really ramps up. So you'll mm -hmm. start by scoring like three, two, one points, and then all of a sudden you'll be scoring 15, 12, like an absurd amount of points compared to before. And yeah. it's kind of nice. 
<laughs> and it's cool too because the, the scoring is uh, real time so you'll mm -hmm. place and then you'll score but there's also some end scoring conditions so you have to kind of account for that at the same time and it can be a little nerve-wracking but it's been really fun yeah. i have not won this game yet i feel like <laughs> tyler is significantly better than me but I'm undefeated in Canvas, so. Yeah. <laughs> I really like spatial awareness games, so <laughs> this is a perfect example. Um, yeah, that's Miyabi. Hmm. So that's the two games that we've been playing. I'm hoping to dive into some heavier games in the later coming weeks. I know we have a long yes. weekend coming up here, so hopefully we'll crack out some heavier games and be able to chat with you about them later on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just got on Mars, so we're looking forward to playing that. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, our names are Ilya and Tyler. We're with Kavri. You can check us out on YouTube, any social media. We're typically Kavri or Kavri Studios. Exactly. Thanks again so much for having us on this podcast and we look forward to hopefully being on again. Have a good one. Hey folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers. And we've started uploading videos onto our YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers, where you can see some unboxing videos and along uh, long lines of some how-to-plays. This week, I would like to highlight some Stefan Feld games that my wife and I have been playing for Felduary. Yes, we've made the decision to play only Feld games for the month of February. Because why not? He's one of our favorite designers. First, we kicked off Felduary with my favorite Feld game of all time, The Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy is one of those titles that, like many Feld designs, play extremely well at the two-player count. The variability in the gameplay at two players is extremely high, especially if you throw in the mix of all the expansion player boards that come with the Anniversary Edition. Castles of Burgundy uses dice as the action selection mechanic, and those dice are going to be determine which tiles you have access to and where they can be placed onto your player board. There are many ways to mitigate the luck of the dice rolls, and there are very few turns in the game where you feel like you are wasting a turn. The scoring in Castle of Burgundy is fun as well. Earlier rounds reward you with more completing, or reward you more for completing areas uh, on your player board and for the same color in the later rounds. Also, the larger the area, the more points you will score. Looking at these elements in combination with your player board is a critical component when you want to strategize your game. You see, I like uh, boards with uh, smaller areas, usually two to, two to three hexes large, as they are easier to fill and will grant me bigger points in the early game. The only time I like large areas if on the player board is if the player board has one of those large pasture, the light green areas. It's very satisfying to chain a bunch of similar animals to score more and more points every time that you lay down a tile. The last satisfying aspect of Castles of Burgundy are the yellow knowledge tiles. There are a wide variety of these tiles, and especially in a two-player game, you will not see all of them in a game. Also, the order in which they come out over a game. These tiles oftentimes give you in-game perks and bonuses, making some actions better slash easier to do. Others will grant you end-of-game scoring opportunities. Claiming some of these tiles early can help you guide a strategy and guide what tiles you claim over the course of a game. Castles of Burgundy is always a fun puzzle to solve while playing, especially when we randomly assign player boards from the Anniversary Edition. 
no two games are ever going to play out the exact same. A couple of complaints I have about the Anniversary Edition is that the game board is very busy looking and that the pasture light green and the knowledge yellow tiles are very hard to read, unlike in the original edition. Not sure why it ended up that way, but even with my glasses on, I find it very, very hard to tell what's being depicted. The next failed game I'd like to cover is Carpe Diem, uh, a relatively newer title coming out in 2019. Um, I have the newer third edition, in, in which, is be, which it's being called, as it has new art and graphic design and a couple rule tweaks. Um, this is another game that feels like it plays very well at the two-player count. Now, the heart of Carpe Diem is a circular rondelle where you travel to adjacent spaces collecting tiles to place on your player area. Now, these tiles will have one, of two, one or two building or fields pictured on them, and what you would like to do is complete either a building or a pasture to grant you a bonus. Usually goods, but they can also grant you some other things as well. Uh, you'll use these goods at the end of each round to hopefully score some points based on the scoring cards selected for the current game. Depending on where the scoring card is situated in that area will determine how many times that card will be able to be scored during a game. And they come in pairs. You'll always, you also want to pay attention to where you are placing your buildings on your player area as, the, as there is a border of tiles where they are being placed randomly at the beginning of the game. Now these border tiles depict bonuses you will score at the end of the game if you manage to build corresponding buildings or pastures in their rows or columns. At the end of four rounds, you just tally up your points and the most points wins. Carpe Diem feels like a very classic fell design in my eyes. Tons of variability in the game, making each game feel very different each time that you play it. It's an easy game to learn, teach, and play, but it's very difficult to play optimally. The variability coming from the different scoring cards selected, the different borders of around your player area, and the order in which the tiles are placed on the rondelle. There is very little I have to complain about Carpe Diem. The setup is a little fiddly with the selecting of the scoring cards and laying out the tiles in between rounds, but also like my complaint with Whistle Mountain, they, they use cards to track all the points you accumulate during the game. This could have easily been a score track as our scores have been usually in the mid to high 70s. Overall though, this is a top 10 Feld game in my books. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. You can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and we're housed through Podbean. Also be sure to check out our Instagram and Twitter, at BC Board Gamers, to see what we've been playing lately. Also check out our recently revitalized YouTube channel, Bridge City Board Gamers. Okay, folks, I'll, you'll hear from me next week. Hello, we are definitely a board game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. My name is Aaron Milich. Hey, and I'm Royce. And we are so excited to be joining the What You've Been Playing Wednesday podcast. Definitely. We are massive fans of board games, and we love to see Canadian content being showcased, right? Of Go course. Oilers, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, anyway. Aaron, it's Wednesday. What you been playing? I've been playing all kinds of stuff, but the one I want to talk about is actually a bit of an older game. It came out in 2015. It's called New York 1901. The designer is Shenye LaSalle. 
artist Vincent Dutrait and published by Blue Orange Games. This is one that uh, actually got secondhand on your recommendation from one of our own listeners. And uh, I really, really uh, enjoyed it right away. And uh, it's got all of our favorite things. It's a worker placement game. It's got the polyominoes. Is that how you say it? It's, yep, this, yep. That's Polyom- not really a word, is it? <laughs> Polyominoes. Yeah, it's terms anyway. Yeah. So you're basically building in 1901 New York when all the skyscrapers were going up. And it's all about building and tearing down skyscrapers. And if you do them on specific streets, which are chosen at the beginning of the game, you get all kinds of bonuses and cool things going on. I played this one as a two-player game with the wife. Really, really enjoyed it. She, of course, beat me, as she always does. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's got a little bit of everything in it, and it's pretty easy to pick up, pretty easy to play, and uh, definitely one that I would recommend, even though it's a bit of an older one now. What do you think, Royce? I think you're making me look bad a little bit here. Why is that? I, well, I just said that we love to see Canadian content being showcased, and the game I'm going to talk about is not Canadian content. Did you know New York 1901 is actually designed by a Canadian diplomat? I did not. Yeah, Chenier is actually, he's a Canadian. He was a diplomat for the Canadian government for a while. Yeah. Cool. Well, I did not know that. Now, you've played this game. What did you think of it? I liked it a lot. It was a really good game. Unfortunately, I didn't actually keep it in my collection, but only because my collection is quite large and I had other games that filled that same uh, niche. I'm really happy that you got a copy so that I can play it again because I've actually been like thinking about it and I've been wanting to play it again. So that's exciting. Yeah, I would say the only thing you want to keep in mind with this game is have a bit of a, of a table. You want some real estate for this one. It takes up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what have you been playing, Royce? I'm going to talk about a game that takes up like almost no space. Oh, perfect. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that's super exciting and not Canadian at all. Uh, <laughs> In fact, it's kind of annoying because it's been out in the States for months and months and months and months. They've even announced the expansion, and it only just came to Canada like last week. So this is brand new. This is Jeff Engelstein's brand new 2021 game, uh, Super Skill Arcade Pinball Pinball Arcade. That's Super Skill Pinball Arcade. Sounds awesome. Uh, This is so cool. This is pinball in a box. Like I just I would never have thought you could do a pinball board game. Like, how do you possibly translate? But Jeff Engelstein has done an amazing job. Uh, There are four different tables in the box. Each table consists of like two boards. And then it's a roll and write. And you roll dice and you move the little silver ball along. Wow. And you bounce around the board getting collection bonuses and what have you until you get to the bottom. And then you get knocked out and you have three balls to run through. So you're all playing on the same dice rolls, but you might be done before another person if they're better at sort of keeping the ball up. So it's very, huh. feels like, you know, when I'm playing pinball against almost anyone else and they're all better <laughs> than me. <laughs> and then it even has like a nudge or a bump technique so you can like bump the little table and nice. you can make it move. And it, But there's a way, if you do it too hard, it will actually tilt. Like he found a way to make tilts where it's really cool. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't played this one yet, I highly recommend you do it. It's not expensive. It's cheap. And it's finally available in Canada. So, yeah, that's uh, Pinball Super Skill Pinball Arcade by Jeff Engelstein. So that's what we've been playing this week. 
And we are definitely a board game podcast. You can find us on uh, our Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and everywhere else where podcasts are. Uh, you, and where else can they find you can us? You can find us on Facebook. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, just look for definitely a board game podcast. You'll find us. Our next episode is episode 23. Uh, in this episode, we discuss rating our games. And I go on a massive rant about Ultimate Railroads, which you you're all going to want to hear. Yeah. So give it a listen. Oh, anything else you want to add, Aaron? If you love good singing, definitely check out our podcast because Royce loves to la, sing. La, 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 la. Sounds just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Friday Games. Friday Night Games. So you can check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and our website at Friday Night dot Games. Today we're going to talk about what we played last week, this week. I don't know. It's Wednesday. So what do we, what do we play, Matt? Well, I played a bunch of games. You know, I played... Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> i played mage knight and i played uh one deck dungeon or nice. yeah 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 but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about another game that both of us played together calico and is it like calico vision Cal- <laughs> is it calico i keep calling it calico it's is, calico like the is cat, it yeah. oh calico vision isn't that a movie <laughs> no that's like the that's like the uh before atari i think oh yep. or after yeah. I mean, if you think about it, what did people do before Atari? They played with cats and sewed quilts. Right? There you go. So that's <laughs> what we're here to talk about. <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. So it's designed by uh, Kevin Rush, art by Beth Sobel, and it's published by Flat Out Games. And we just got off a stream with it where we actually got beat down hard. Yeah. We, we, we had one of our uh, Twitch stream viewers uh, come on and play with us, and they, they beat the crap out of us like at least by like 20 points every monday 8 30 to 10 p.m <laughs> eastern <laughs> friday gms uh so calico is a puzzle laying game where players try to build the best quilts based on uh, their scoring tiles to earn the most points gain points from either getting buttons by uh, placing matching color tiles or by matching patterns not colors that give you cats that count towards points or gain points by placing tiles around a special tile on your board uh, which you have to satisfy conditions such as no tiles can have the same pattern. Yeah, and that last one is probably the toughest part of the game, right? Where you're trying to like, right. I think like your mind, because that because that could be Matt. So those conditions could be colors, like colors only, or patterns only, or both. And if you do both, you get more points. It is like that is like the hardest part where you're trying to score those tiles. In my in my right. opinion. So Matt, can you explain how we love it? Well, I really like it because it was such like a relaxing, zen, chill experience. Um, The game offers a ton of depth if you want it. And it offers a casual experience to introduce people who are very new to the hobby or want something lighter uh, to play. But don't be fooled. This game is super, super, super thinky. There is a ton of strategy. um, but But the strategy really comes in, you're like, aiming for very specific pieces but you kind of have to be flexible with your choices and that's where it really gets hard because sometimes you're not getting the pieces you want 
Um, the theme may not be appealing to most hardcore gamers, you know, people looking for knights or dragons or swords or ready to slay something, but it's appealing <laughs> to more of a casual group, people who like, you know, buttons and quilting and petting their cat next to a nice warm fire with a tea and maybe watching something of the queen. You know, we're Canadian on this, so <laughs> probably would love the queen. Um, but I, I think the theme, the theme, I love the theme. And it's very pleasing to the eye. Once you finish your your board, the the board looks so like beautiful. Like when you, especially if you do it right. <laughs> yeah. So what about you, Joe? Uh, what's your what's your thoughts? I'm gonna piggyback off what you said. You know, I it, it was really simple to learn, um, and a very chill experience, like you said, and very nice to look at. Um, but what I think is really cool about the game is when you're done playing your first couple games, you kind of see that the three paths you can take to earn points and you kind of have to think early on in the game, uh, which paths you want to take to earn the most points. Um, so I think what's interesting to this game is that it, it kind of makes me want to go back and try to master the game to get the most points every time I play. And I think that's really cool that they, that they created it that way to make you want to play it more and more. Cause like now I'm frustrated that I didn't get the tiles on the last game we played. I didn't get any yeah. points on the, on the tiles. Right. So I'm like, well now I need to figure out how to do that. Plus get cats and buttons. So it intrigued, it intrigued me. So that's why I think I love it. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely, it's a, it's a good thinky game. And, and the cool thing is it plays really quick too. Like, you know, as a solo game, you could play it in half an hour really quickly. Nice. Yeah, as a group, I mean, you know, we streamed it over an hour and a half, but really, you know, we do a little, I'm, you know, how much I'm super chatty. <laughs> and we're stream. playing it on, we played on uh, Tabletopia, Tabletopia as yeah. well, right? So. Well, any, yeah, any of those are going to be harder to play, but yeah, it's, it yeah. takes a little bit longer. And we did, we did play it on Tabletop Simulator too, which was uh, actually a pretty good experience. Yeah. So cool. So, so Matt, how did we play it wrong? Oh, I was going to ask you, you first, you oh. first. Me? Uh, well, the first game that we played on Friday, I didn't realize that earning the cat tiles, uh, you have to play the same pattern in a row. Um, so I was placing the two patterns that were available together to try to earn the points. I think I just um, misunderstood you when you were telling me the rules. So at the end of the game, I lost like all my cat tiles. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Oh, man. That... <laughs> You know, actually, I, that that's my note too. I said the cat rules are a little bit hard to process. Um, yeah. The but the rules in the rule book do do a very good job of explaining it. But I think even my first couple solo games before playing with you, uh, I I messed up those rules so many times because I'm like, oh wait, does this part of this pattern is a part of that pattern? It's just it's just kind of it's it's not really confusing. It's just hard to get used to your mind. You have to wrap your mind around it. It's hard to get your mind there. Right, mine doesn't always go there, you know. Um, but what I hate about it, or sorry, what how I play it wrong all the time is that I keep missing points on the board, right? So I keep placing tiles though, realizing that I'm messing up. Like you have the three scoring point tiles, so I'll place one. And I'll be like, yeah, that's that's right. I just got you know double points there, colors and patterns matching up. But then I'm like, oh, I just messed up this one in the middle, <laughs> so I just scored zero <laughs> points on this one. And oh wait, I actually screwed up this other one too. I only scored seven instead of fifteen. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do that a lot. I like 
I miss points all the time. So my mind is, you know, it's one track. It's not six track. So it's hard. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, 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 you're an- analytical when you play games. So I am. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. I get, I get in a pattern like this is what right. I'm going to do when you can't tell me otherwise. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, Matt, you're playing completely wrong. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Cool. So, is there anything that we don't like about the game? Oh yeah. Oh, I got two things. <laughs> oh, I got two things. One, where are my tiles? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> when we played tonight, when we played tonight, I needed yellow with dots, and I would have hit yeah. fifteen points easy. And I'm like, oh, yellow with dots comes up. I'm like, oh yeah, that's mine. But it comes up on your turn, and then you take it right away. I'm like, no, I need that. <laughs> and then literally, I swear, I swear, check the tape. We have it on tape or on uh, film. <laughs> wow, how old am I? We have we have it saved. <laughs> we have it on the internet. <laughs> we have an A-track tape of us playing. Okay, I, that's not even possible. But anyways, <laughs> it comes up like two turns later. And I'm like, if you saw, see my face, I'm like glowing. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to take that tile. And then uh, Emotional Cyborg took it. I'm like, no. no. And, and then she's so apologetic. And I'm like, no, can you just taunt me? <laughs> can you just like, <laughs> you know, trash talk me right now? That's what I want to hear. Anyways. <laughs> uh, and then that leads to my second point that I am really bad at the game. <laughs> and I wish I was better. I wish I was better at this game, but I'm not. I'm terrible. What about What about you, John? For me, I'm not a cat person, so I don't really care about their game. <laughs> okay, so the cats um, wasn't the theme doesn't doesn't bring you in, you know? Yeah, I mean, when I when I when I first saw the game, I saw it get like a ton of love on social media, and I thought it had to do with like, I thought it had to do more with cats than it does. Based on the love I was seeing for it on social media, maybe I had this like higher expectation for the game. Um, and I don't know if it's due to just playing it online, but that wow factor wasn't there for me. Like it was still fun and like chill to play, but I don't think I would like go rush out and buy it. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a fair take. That's a fair take. If you like soul, if you like puzzle games, it's, it's, it's great. Definitely get it. But yeah, I can see that if you're, you know, if you don't, which you're saying that you don't as much, then, you know, leave it alone. (laughs) (laughs) Also, can we also right. mention that uh, Emotional Cyborg just, like, destroyed us in this game tonight? Yep. <laughs> like, what I have? I think by, like, 17, 20 points or something like <laughs> Did that. Did I have, like, two points? Is that what I had or something? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're Matt and John from Friday Night Games. You can uh, find us on your favorite streaming platform every Friday when we release our podcast. Uh, Instagram, Friday Night Games underscore official. Twitter and Twitch at Friday Night GMS and our website FridayNight.games. Oh, don't Thanks forget YouTube. Don't forget YouTube. See everyone. Oh yeah, YouTube. YouTube. There's videos. <laughs> we have some crazy <laughs> videos. That's it. <laughs> Later's. <laughs>
Clue, but up a notch. Yeah, I would say it's in the same realm as Clue, Mysterium, uh, Obscurio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wouldn't say Detective, or uh, what's the one? Murder in Hong Kong. I've never played, so I don't yeah. know. So yeah, it, it's in that uh, realm where you're getting clues, trying to figure out who the murderer is, why they did it, and with what weapon. Yeah. And uh, it, the clues are given to you from these cards that you get. Yes. Uh, and the, the fun part and kind of where it gets a little stressful um, is you have cards that give you clues. The other people have other cards that give you clues. You have to ask, basically you, you ask, uh, do you, I want information about this person and this room or both these two people or these two rooms. And other people will kind of bid. They'll say, I have these cards. And you have to trade them for those cards. So you have to give them information in to be able to get information back. Yeah, each clue you have is assigned a point value for how valuable it is to have. Anywhere from one, two, or three points. Yep. And, of course, the three being the ones that you want to get. So if Shay's asking about one of the characters in one of the rooms, I can say I have four car or four points four points of value towards that person and each card in the top right corner tells you what it pertains to yeah so you can't just throw out stuff that doesn't pertain to what they're asking yeah and it, it's kind of an honor system here but you don't lie either and say oh i have three here and it's actually a one yeah yeah, yeah like this, don't, don't do that <laughs> yeah you'll get called out on it and it's against the rules yeah <laughs> uh yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast. We played with four people. Yes. Uh, you can play I, up to eight. Which is, would be so crazy. Yeah, I think eight might be too many and it would take too long. It might. Yeah, I don't know. There might be different rules for eight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we played four. I think it worked really well. Um, I won both games. Once because you screwed up putting the cards in and once because I just played well. Well, um, the... The second time you won, it was because I didn't actually read what I'd written down for my clues. Yeah, but that was a you problem. Well, it was one of us problem. Yeah. Like, we don't want to point uh, fingers here, Shay. We're here as a inclusive community. Ah, well, you lost, and it was your fault. So Yes. Uh, the first game, I, I will say that first game does bring up something you have to be careful about. Um, the way you set up each scenario is by taking a certain certain numbers of cards out of the deck. And there's, what, 250? Yeah, there's just just shy of 250 cards in each scenario or each case says put these 70 cards in or yeah. however many and, it and is. And they are all numbered, but if you read incorrectly, like you did in the first game. Um, or they stick together. Maybe. Or they stick together, fine, we can say that. Um, if, if that happens, you could get a card and will get a card that will completely screw up the case. And that's where you and Jordan both had that card that confused you guys yes. and allowed me to win. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think if, if you have somebody double check it, that helps, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the sheets themselves are very handy. They got a map. They got uh, the possible motives of each person. Each person has three motives. Uh, and each clue is pretty spoon-fed to you. Yeah. You look at it and it says you should write it this way on the map. Yeah, there's only a couple that uh, don't 
And I'd say that's specifically the ones where they're like, this person was alone at the time or says they were alone at the time. Um, Some of them don't necessarily show you. But yeah, for the most part on the card, they say draw here, draw an X, um, which I thought was really neat. I like the way the maps are set up and the way you can kind of determine which is which and how you slowly cross stuff off. It's very tactile and fun. Yeah. Um, also, this game comes with or comes with an app. I should say you can download an app for this game. Uh, and I would absolutely recommend you do that. Uh, without the app, which again, the app is free, but without it, you set the, the game up and when you guess... You only get one chance. Yeah. Um, you, you're you out of the game because, of course, you have to see the solution. If you have the app, you can actually guess again. You just lose your next turn. Yeah. The neat thing with the app, as Shay says, is you can guess, but then you can't guess the next, the, the following round. Yeah. Uh, each round, everybody gets one chance of getting clues, and then you have the opportunity to guess if you want to. Yeah. Uh, all, all the games, we were all very close where it didn't get to the point where somebody had a chance to guess a second time. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to say what you're guessing mm-hmm. when you guess, so it's still a mystery to everybody, uh, and you're not giving anything away as to the clues that you got. Uh, everybody has a nice, uh, pl- thick cardstock screen to, to play behind. Uh I'd say the only thing I kind of wish is that the sides for the screen were a little farther out. They don't actually fully cover the paper. Yes and no, because the parts of the paper it leaves open, you're not actually supposed to write on. Because you cancel out the weapons on the map. Not... Oh, see, I do both. Because yeah. there's a little thing to put an X on. But it's just, it's giving you tips. Uh, the screen has clues as to... The servants and the police are never lying. Uh, the the killer will try to do this. It gives you little tips of how they've set up the game and mm-hmm. you know how how to uh, use deduct. the clues you get. To, yeah. To deduct the. I killer. would recommend reading all deduce. of the deduce. Uh, yeah. I would recommend reading all of the clues because it will definitely help. Or sorry, not all the clues, but all of the tips. Yeah. Because uh, it'll certainly help you figure out what something means. Yeah, I sort of winged it the first game and didn't do well with it. Yeah, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic and will definitely be one we'll be pulling out again. Yeah, definitely a great game and something that will get played over and over again with multiple player counts. I am I am curious to play it at Eight higher yeah. player counts <laughs> and I think it'll be good for a late game. Absolutely. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Shay. Have a great night. <laughs>
uh, excellent little uh, Euro by Alexander Pfister there. And we'll come back to the Pfister joke because uh, uh, Eli cracked a funny one later on in the thread here. So uh, moving down, Jason, um, Amy and I played Calico and Concordia this week. Uh, and it should also be noted that it is Felduary. Get those Felds on the table. Um, Calico and Concordia. He's a big fan of the alliteration. I love it. Um, love both those games. Man, I haven't played Concordia in a long time. Um, bunch of great maps for Concordia. Great variants. It can it can tighten the board up if you're two players, or it can make it large for max players. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, so back to Eli and his a uh, rebuttal to the Felduary comment. Uh, I've never been a big fan of Feld. I prefer Fistuary. Hmm, doesn't sound quite right. I think it sounds okay. Alexander Fister? Gotta like that. Um, let's move down. Ash, we played Clank with the Adventure Pack. Uh, added a new few twists to the game, so that's very cool. Uh, we just spoke, I think, on the last uh, episode that um, we, uh, we, we played Clank Legacy, only got to game 8 of 10, so yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of, it's a sore spot. I'm serious. Um, Lane. Lane hasn't missed a uh, commentary on the thread here. Clank Legacy. Yes, I'm jealous. Totally jealous. Um, uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Some mentions of painting and minis. We can't get to that because then I'll get off on a tangent. Uh, Travis. Awesome. Uh, not much this week. A game last night of Spirit Island and then playing again through Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Um, yes, those are both great games, Spirit Island. Yeah, <laughs> the island fights back. Awesome. Um, Jeff got a full solo play of Praga. Some Sonora and Calico as well. Praga, I have. I just picked that up. I got to get that to... Gots to get that to the table pretty quick. Uh, Tony. Got a couple of plays of Under Falling Skies. Um, yay. That's like, uh, that's like um, Space Invaders, the cardboard version. Love it. Uh, Trevor, first game of Keyflower on the weekend. Really enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah. See, I want to play all of these titles. This is brutal. This is, I, I don't want to do this. Okay. Jeff. No, wait, not Jeff. Janelle. Carcassonne. I got that app on my phone. Man, I think I'm up to like 500 plays. What a great tile lane game. Tim, not a lot. It's been a pretty slow month. Didn't, I mean, you know, that's about it. Uh, Tim, uh, I did get to try out Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, a Dire Chasm. Warhammer. That's always intimidated me. That's a, that's a lot of painting to do, and I, I just can't leave that, you know, not painted. Um, well, I'm going to cut this short because we uh, we have a, such a awesome episode with all these amazing contributors. Uh, I hope everybody has the opportunity to check out their links uh, in the show notes and and uh, uh, start exploring all of this fantastic content created created by uh, all of these great um, content creators out there. So. Uh, that being said, I'm going to thank you very much for uh, listening to the episode and uh, 
and uh, give us a, giving us a chance to uh, uh, open up that wallet of yours next time you go to your friendly local game store. And uh, remember, take, out, take care out there and keep your stick on the ice, eh? This has been an episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, brought to you by the very disturbed people at Cardboard Conjecture. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more, please click on the links in the show notes, and that will take you to every contributor's channel and content. Thank you.